Hi guys, happy Sunday morning or Saturday evening, depending on where you are in the world, like, I don't know, Waco, Texas. I am so glad that I get to be with you again. Rob asked me if I would um, uh, talk to you guys this Sunday and I was delighted. I wish I was in person, but at least we get to talk about Exodus one more time. I am in another parking lot. I realized how weird this was when my grandparents just now asked me what I was doing and I said, oh, I'm about to preach a sermon in a parking lot. And they said, like, why a parking lot? And I was like, well, it's just this thing we do. And I realized it's a thing I do and I feel like it's a joke you're in on. And I don't know when they said it, it was kind of um, like, oh yeah, well maybe this is just my joke. And sorry if I've drug you along in it, but I hope you are well and can't wait to see you again in person. Today we get to look at another aspect of the Israelites in their journey um, in the book of Exodus. So I want you to think about something. We all have a script for our lives. Maybe it's not something that we are conscious of. Maybe it's not something we share all the time at Thanksgiving dinners or when we're out having coffee with friends. But we all have some way in which we think our lives should go or the way that we hope that they will. Sometimes these scripts are ones that we create. So I think of children and children's scripts start with a job that they want to have. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? So sometimes these scripts for children are being an actor or a doctor or a kindergarten teacher. And that's how it works. Children first consider what career or what job they want. And then they gradually add additional elements to their scripts, such as, do you want to get married? And you want to have 12 kids? And this is where you want to live in London or Canada these days, depending on how it is. And I think about my kids, as they've gotten older, they've started adding in what kind of house they're going to live in. One wants to live in a really skinny two-story, another one wants a small cozy apartment, and another one has dreams of a large ranch-style house that they can raise their 12 kids in. So the script begins to fill up with all of these details, like where am I going to college? What kind of doctor do I want to be? Where is this house that I've designed going to be located? And who am I going to have these 12 kids with, right? The script is constantly changing. In a lot of ways, it's just kind of adding more and more details and depth, like a painting. The older we get, the more we understand, the more the script gets a little more nuanced. But as life progresses, there's disappointments that inevitably ensue, and we experience rejection and loss in turns that we never would have planned or never would have asked for. Many things that are outside of our control. As adults, there are parts of the script we made as kids that we may abandon. We drop some of the larger pieces. You know, I even think about for my oldest daughter, she really wanted to be a nurse and then recently she found out blood may be involved. So she dropped that. And my middle child wanted to be a roller skating waiter at Sonic um, and wanted to make sure she had a nose ring until she realized a needle is involved in nose ring piercing. So we all have things that we began to learn as we get to know ourselves better and discover that our interests don't really match in adulthood the way they did when we were still watching Saturday morning cartoons and all we were thinking about was spring break. Or maybe that's still a lot of our story. So the thing is, 
these jobs, these ideas, you know, they were very real to us. What I love is uh, my husband, Brett, he says that when he was a child, his dream job was to be a truck driver. And if he couldn't do that, he wanted to be a made man. He said maids had to be women, so a made man. Or if those didn't work out, he just wanted to be retired. So I asked some of you what you wanted to be when you were younger and you thought about the ideal job. And I just have to share some of these. So uh, I love that Ryan Hernandez wanted to be a major league baseball player. Don't give up your dream, Ryan. Still out there. Nate Fritzel wanted to be a rock star, which ostensibly maybe he already is doing that. And your pastor, Rob, really wanted to be a stand-up comedian. And I'm going to let you guys judge if you think that's happening. You know, you can just add comments in the comment section, if there is a comment section. But I uh, love this one too. Jackie Fritzel shared with me that her dream was to be one of Janet Jackson's backup singers and still is one of her dreams. A dream I think you should really focus on, Jackie. I think that's important. One of you shared that you had a different dream job every day, everything from a marine biologist to writer, artist, actor, marketer, and of course, professional pool player. A friend of mine from high school said today that he wanted to be a superhero and instead only ended up as a high-ranking pilot in the Air Force with many overseas missions. A doctor friend told me that he wanted to be a kangaroo until he was seven years old. Other reported jobs were endemologist, uh, interior decorator, dolphin trainer, CIA agent, South Africa apartheid activist, and a professional deadhead. So it's pretty amazing. Some of these scripts we write, aren't those incredible? So there's so many reasons that we write our scripts the way that we do, right? We're influenced by the people that were around, the culture in which we grow up. Tyranny wanted to be a nurse because her mom was a nurse. I wanted to be the next Anderson Cooper because in high school I watched Channel One in my homeroom every single day. I still might pursue that, by the way. We lean into more of ourselves. As we grow, we change. We go into more of who we are and less about our family interests or maybe even more into the cultural norms. But either way, the abandonment of the larger pieces, we still find ourselves at some point having an idea of how things should be. And if that's the case, then there are inevitably moments where we also say, how did I get here? Have any of you ever asked that question? How did I end up here in my life? I mean, the whole journey to and through adulthood includes bumps and twists and turns that we never could have expected. And when we consciously or subconsciously made our future plans, there's some stark things that we left out of it. We didn't plan on people hurting us. We didn't plan on hurting other people. We didn't plan on people leaving us. We didn't plan on trying to manage our lives in any way we could. Some of the survival techniques that came up. I mean, I think when we imagined what we wanted to do, we didn't plan to struggle either with money or addiction, compulsive behavior, food, interaction with people, any kind of struggle that we would have socially and any ways that we might try to cope with or to avoid grieving or other feelings that weren't palatable to us. With all of our imaginative ideas and dreams, when we thought about what we wanted to do, and yet I wonder if rarely did we think about the person that we wanted to be, who we wanted to become. You know, 
As we've been talking through Exodus, I think about the Hebrew people, also called the Israelites, these people who were no people and were called by God, who promised to be their God and called them as his people. I'm pretty sure that they had a script as well. And their script more than likely didn't include 400 years in slavery in Egypt. We talked about their journey and how they were in harsh slavery and their cries to God and God's rescuing work through Moses as God took on the powerhouse of Pharaoh, um, the one who was oppressing God's people. And how God not only rescued this people, the Israelites, but also covenanted to be their God, took this label that Israel held of being a devalued slave and gave them a new identity as people worthy and people who belonged and people who had on their side the provider and protector, the one true source of life and love. So here's the general script that Yahweh, that God revealed to Israel. God promised to be Israel's God. God promised to deliver Israel from Egyptian slavery. And God promised to bring them to a place of their own which was incredible news because that's how nations were known as this, this place they had to land. And the Israelites were nomadic people living on borrowed land for a certain amount of time and yet didn't have a place that was theirs in which they could dwell. So God had been clear about all of these promises and yet there was still a lot of doubt among the Israelites, maybe because they'd been in slavery for so long or didn't know who this God was. But also, I think part of it was God was fulfilling these promises in ways that seemed a little backwards. It wasn't playing out. Let's just say that it wasn't playing out the way that Israel thought it was. The timeline in which Yahweh was working and when God was fulfilling his promises didn't always receive the Israelite stamp of approval. Okay, It wasn't what they expected. There was something about the script that they had in their minds that didn't match up with what they could see happening. So Moses, an Egyptian raised Hebrew with impaired speech, is sent to Pharaoh to tell him to let God's people go. That's a little bit more unorthodox or unexpected. The plagues were also an you know, untraditional way to set the Israelites free. And then instead of just walking out of Egypt, God leads the Israelites across the Red Sea. So Moses holds up his staff and the waters part and Israel walks on this dry ground surrounded by a sea or a wall of water on one side and a wall of water on the other side. So even though this covenant is being fulfilled, it's not fulfilled in the way that Israel expects. And that definitely takes a toll on their ability to believe and their willingness to trust. It shouldn't surprise us then that the journey to the promised land after Egypt is just as unpredictable as the journey has been prior in the previous chapters of Israel's story. But getting out of Egypt was part of it and a really important part of it. But this deliverance was only part of God's plan and what God was doing with this people. So in Exodus 13, we are told that when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though that was the most direct route to the promised land. For God thought that if the people were to have to fight or face war, they would just run back to Egypt. So instead, God led them on the roundabout way through the wilderness. Now, I love that phrase, roundabout way, 
as I feel it describes a lot of my experiences and journey with God. The roundabout way, the unexpected, the indirect, and sometimes the really, really annoying way. But throughout the book of Exodus, we've been given reasons for God's ordinary ways, um, the ways he's kind of acted out of the unexpected ways. The reason for the plagues, God said, was because God wants to be known as the true God who defeats the powers, not only of Pharaoh and Egypt and Egyptian gods, but was a way of establishing that our God, that this God is a capital G God. No one like this Yahweh. But here in Exodus 13, the justification for the indirect way through the wilderness shows direct concern for Israel. God is concerned that if they face and fight, then they are going to run back to Egypt. God wants to make sure that their fear doesn't return them to slavery. So God not only wants to free God's people from slavery, but wants to make sure they don't go back. I love that. Because God's vision for Israel has always been broader. It's always been bigger than deliverance from one thing. It's been deliverance from anything that might enslave. It's, it's been about taking them to a land, yes, but also bringing these people into an understanding of who they are. It's not just about where they are going. It's also about how they are being transformed to be the people that they were created to be. So maybe the script includes not just what they have been freed from, or what we've been freed from, but what they and we have been freed for, right? Don't you love that? So we're not quite able to enter the Exodus story in a sincere way because we know how the story ends. And if we don't, we can always pick up a book and skip to the end. But if we were to pop in at any point in their journey, we could understand how there might be some feelings of discouragement and defeat, how they might be a little disappointed with the present set of circumstances. So I want you to think about your life. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt like this moment in time is a place of discouragement and disappointment and when you're questioning maybe what God has said in the past? You know, When you feel that your present circumstances or life are not like you imagined and not in like the good Disney World kind of way, but in the kind of uncomfortable and defeating maybe some hopelessness in there, like that kind of way, you know? Because sometimes the circumstances we're in are from our own making. I mean, they're a result of choices or our responses to life. Other times we've been innocent bystanders, bystanders and um, just victimized by the evil of this world. Whatever the case may be, life is not played out in the way that we thought it would, right? The scripts that we have for our lives are destined to be disrupted for many reasons. And one reason is because they tend to be pretty short-sighted. We're thinking of goals in which we might have some control or a say. We have a goal to be happy. We have a goal to be wealthy or to be healthy or to belong. And so if we find a way in which we think we can achieve that goal, a lot of times we just grab on, hold on, even though it turns out it doesn't make us happy and it doesn't give us this sense of value and it's a cheap knockoff form of belonging that doesn't actually touch what we need most healed within ourselves. And because of that, God has a broader vision that goes beyond something that we can control and bring about in our own lives with our own resources. God definitely wants to provide for those places of need, whether it's 
for a place for the people of Israel or our own deep need for belonging and happiness, right? So in addition to that, though, God also wants to show us who we are and how to be and live as the people of God. So the Israelites were already the people of God. They just needed to know what that looks like. So God takes them on the roundabout way. If the goal had simply been to stop Israel's oppression, to stand up to the tyranny of Pharaoh, and for God to show this intolerance toward evil and cruelty and injustice, then there would be no need for an indirect route. It already would have been taken care of. But the goal was not just about delivering and then arriving at the promised land. In chapter 19, we get a little more insight into what God's broader vision may contain. So when they arrive at Mount Sinai, God says to tell the people, you saw what I did to the Egyptians and how I lifted you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So up to this point, the Israelites had an idea that they were being brought to the promised land. They're brought out of Egypt in order to inhabit this land that would finally be theirs. And that was a huge part of it. But there's a detail in here that justifies a roundabout way through the wilderness instead of a direct route, because it's not just about arriving at the promised land. God's broader vision also includes bringing these people into the deeper places of who he is. It's a deeper revelation of God's character. And it's not just for the Israelites, but also for us. We might have a destination in mind or things we feel like we've heard from God. But God's broader vision might include those things and also has this goal of bringing us to the deeper places of who God is. That it's not just about some kind of accomplishment. It's not just about our success. It's not just about uh, happiness. It's also about knowing God and developing deeper and deeper connection with this God who is the source of love and life. Isn't that crazy? I brought you out not just to bring you to this place, but to bring you to myself. That helps me then understand the context of the roundabout way. Because I look and when God says that God doesn't want them to face or fight war, that is interesting to me because God is the one who promised protection. And was war really an issue for Yahweh? God proved in Egypt that no person, no nation, no power could compare that God was perfectly capable of helping Israel defeat any enemy, whether Philistines or not, right? But because God was concerned about their hearts and knew that Israel, even though they'd been delivered, still in a place of fragility and possible fear, and saw that it was best for their hearts not to go in a way that might lead them back to slavery, because they were still learning to trust God. They'd only recently gotten to know this God who showed up on the scene after 400 years of slavery, right? Israel had been inundated with the culture of Egypt, so they had learned how to view themselves based upon the enemy that forced them to serve them. So in Egypt, the Israelites were characterized by anxiety and by fear and exhaustion and pain and loss. Israel's, like their survival depended on their ability to perform for Egypt. Their lives required that they acquiesce to the demands of their enemy. They were workhorses. And that identity was not just a label that was placed gently, but it sunk into the deepest places of Israel's souls. That is what they held. And it wasn't just ripped out of them when they crossed the Red Sea. They still carried that. 
even into this place and where Mount Sinai, where God's giving them the vision, that I'm removing this old way of seeing yourself. There's still vestiges of the Egyptian culture that are in you. And we are going to not only bring you freedom in the physical sense, but also from all of those wrong ways of seeing yourself. When Israel had gotten away from seeing themselves as the loved and, um, and worthy ones of God, that's what God was also aiming to correct, not just taking them to this place, not just giving them this name, but helping them understand what this name actually meant. So as they journeyed longer and longer in this roundabout way, pieces of their slavery mindset began to fall off. The wilderness narrative, and I wish we could talk about it, is full of ways in which God meets Israel's needs. At one point when there's no water source, God brings water again, unpredictably, out of a rock. Um, it wasn't about Israel's ability to perform that got them food, but every single day God provided food in the wilderness. They ate not because they earned favor with God, but because God was willing to provide for them. They were not taken care of because of how well they acted, but because God had covenanted to love them and to do what was necessary to bring them to this land that God had promised. So they got to know the radical provision of the God who had called them. And every opportunity in the roundabout way was a chance to learn the heart of the God who knew them by name and was also creator. So protector, provider, all of these things are becoming ways in which Israel knows God's heart more and more deeply. For us, just like the Egyptian mindset, we have been affected by messages of our culture or our upbringing, messages about who we are. And we also may have been taught that our worth is based on what we do. Or if we want to be valued, then we have to work for it. We all have misunderstandings about who we are and what it means to belong to God. But Israel complained, Israel grumbled, Israel did not appreciate this broader vision that God had. They just wanted to get to the land already. But each step provided an opportunity to get to know the heart of God. They were becoming people who not only could inhabit the promised land, but also could thrive there. We may have a destination in mind. We may have matured past our scripts of, of our childhood, but are we still holding tightly to new scripts? They may not be as myopic, but they still set expectations for what our lives should look like and how God should act. There's nothing wrong with making plans, but plans can be disrupted. And so maybe it's better if we have open hands with our future intentions and also with what we see God doing. Because the sentences, the pages, the chapters in your story may not at this point be what you had hoped for. But God is doing more than bringing you to the end of a story. God is also bringing you to himself. If the goal for Israel was God, then there was no indirect way. Every single moment provided an opportunity to be with God, to be transformed and to learn. If God's goal for us is to free us to know who we are, then there is no indirect route. Then every single part of this random, unpredictable story is a chance for us to learn who, more deeply who God is. And it gives me great hope that the roundabout way means that no experience is going to keep us from God and that every experience can be a way in which we experience new depths of who God is. 
Now, let me be clear. I do not think that God causes every twist and turn. I don't believe God makes people leave us or wound us. I don't think God's trying to teach us by getting us fired or financial difficulties. The awful things that happen, that doesn't mean that God makes them happen. We don't always have to say that God caused these things, whether good or bad. I do believe, however, that God is not limited. So it's not that God causes, but that God is not limited by the struggles in our lives and is willing to love us and strengthen us through them. God is not inhibited or blocked by our circumstances and is always bringing about new beginnings, even in the darkest of moments. There are things that have happened to you, happened in your life, in a world so ugly and things that are so evil sometimes that we're not sure how we or humanity can survive. But even in those situations, in the evil that God abhors, those things don't have the last word. They don't get to disrupt the story that God is writing in our lives. I had a friend who was an atheist. We became friends through community theater in Colorado. And after a cast party, I took him home because he was too drunk to drive. And while he was in the car, almost passed out, he started talking about God and then began singing this song about God, El Shaddai. Do you know the song El Shaddai? Either the Michael Card or the Amy Grant version, still same thing. And I was confused because there's this drunk atheist in my car singing about God. The next day I asked him why he was singing that and he said, I don't know. It's just a song I learned as a child and it just came into my mind. Maybe that's part of his roundabout way. That song from his childhood is part of his journey. A famous musician was part of a mainstream Christian band and one day declared on social media that he was an atheist. People were outraged and appalled. But who are we to know that that's not part of his roundabout way in his journey with God? A preacher finds herself lost in addiction, struggling to be sober. That's part of her roundabout way. Ugh. The roundabout way. We're just a bunch of roundabout way journeyers, aren't we? And yet we can be so critical of unprecedented storylines. Isn't that the whole Old Testament? Why are we so scared? Why do we doubt? Why do we not let questions and, and doubts and disbelief be a part of our journey? Why do we fight against the things that we see as counter to relationship with God when it may be part of our journey to the person of God. We can be so threatened by things that don't seem to fit in and so judgmental when we see somebody's journey if it appears to be too roundabout, right? Have we limited spiritual path to a few acceptable options? You can grow up in a Christian home. You can have some light rebellion as long as it doesn't get too crazy. And then you can rededicate your life, have a Christian family and serve in the church or it's okay if you had a troubling childhood, but after the drugs and promiscuity, connect with God and you have a built-in platform to talk about God, right? But outside of that, for most of us who don't fall into those categories, the roundabout way makes room for people like us. Do we need to let go of the script, either that we're holding for ourselves or somebody else? Holding on to this is going to mean that we compare our lives with how we think they should be. If we hold on to the scripts for ourselves, we inevitably do it for other people. And then we're destined to be in a perpetual state of defeat because we're a victim of our own expectations for ourselves or our lives or the lives we think other people should be living. If we hold on to the script that we 
think we should be living. It's like watching a movie after you've read the book. You know those people who watch a movie after they read the book and the whole time they're like, this is nothing like, this is like nothing like the movie. Yes, I just did that. It makes the movie so unenjoyable, plus you're critical the whole time. Let go of the script, let it be what it is. Realize that God's vision is so much bigger than what you have experienced or the linear expectations that you have. It makes sense that throughout our lives we're gonna question how we're going to be successful or happy or connected spiritually. But the more that we get buried in the details, the less we are going to be present to the God who is present to us. Not the God who pays attention to the script you have in mind, but the God who is present in your actual life today. The Old Testament tells story after story about people abandoning their scripts and these journeys that are characterized by disbelief and belief and trust and doubt, listening to God, and then taking matters into your own hands. Disobedience and obedience. We are just a bunch of roundabout wares. There are times that we might feel that we have done too much, that we've gone too far, that we've ruined it, whether it's our life or script or future. And in those moments that seem insurmountable, we can grieve the loss of the script, grieve the loss of the way things have gone, but know that nothing, nothing ultimately is a threat to being with God. Whose script are you holding? Whose script is God calling you to let go of? It's worth it to let God peel your fingers off of the script, off of the expectations that you have and surrender to the care of God. Scripture always points to God's ways being higher than ours, God's thoughts being higher than our thoughts, that we can't conceive of God's power or the ways in which God will fulfill and go beyond what we ever could have imagined. So this week, may you allow God to hold you even as you grieve the ways your life has turned out. We can't put our faith in what we see God doing, but in who God is. And may God give you the joy and the grace to enjoy that roundabout way. Grace and peace to you, friends.